0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by The Great Grow Along. Sign up at greatgrowalong.com. This week on Meet and Three, we're sipping on stories about how access, legislation, and circumstance affect what we drink. I think now it's really changing
2: that there's a growing excitement about drinks that are zero proof and alcoholic.
0: So it just felt like kind of a very good timing.
1: This plant's been around for millions of years,
2: and uh, I just think that it's so special, so uniquely uh,
1: American and pre American. Uh, that just should have a very prominent place in our society, you know, for a lot of different reasons. It is helpful to be able to sell one drink. It would be more helpful to be able to sell two or three at a time. Tune in to Meet and Three. Available wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Good afternoon and welcome. This is What Doesn't Kill You? Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. Uh, We are talking today with Lucy Martinez-Sullivan. She is the founding executive director of Feed the Truth, a new nonprofit that I I think we'll we'll be talking about how new it is. Um, Lucy joined Feed the Truth from 1,000 Days a leading advocacy organization she helped to found which works to make the nutrition and well-being of mothers and young children in the US and around the world a policy and funding priority. Good luck with that. Uh, Previously, Lucy worked with various philanthropic and nonprofit organizations on fundraising and communications initiatives and in the private sector for Fortune 100 companies. She currently serves as the co-chair of the Global Nutrition Report Stakeholder Group. Welcome to the show, Lucy. Thank you so much. So let's um, let's talk first about Feed the Truth, because I had never, before your report hit my inbox, I had never heard of your organization, and I gathered from reading the website that it is quite new. So um, give us a little thumbnail of that. Absolutely. Katie, it is a pleasure to be here and
2: and to be speaking with you today. So thank you for inviting me. Uh, So yeah, so Feed the Truth, we're a brand new organization. We are um, in the business of holding big food accountable from uh, farms to forks. Uh, This uh, organization was actually started by an ex-food industry executive who saw the the real need uh, for an organization to try to drive greater transparency around what the food industry does uh, their impact on policy making on science uh because uh, we are dealing with a a massive health crisis in this country fueled uh by our diets and uh, the food we eat the food we grow and so feed the truth was born from that uh, and we're really excited to have launched our our brand new report uh
3: called the uh draining the big food swamp it's i i'm going to tell you it's not that i didn't know that there was a lot of money flowing from big food as we call it. Uh into the coffers of uh the various members of our uh, legislative bodies, but uh, you know you guys really drilled down there. i mean <laughs> there were there was some real eye popping statistics um so let's let's talk a little bit about how much muscle um is you know from the food lobby is going in or from the food industry is 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 moving legislation. And and kind of give us an overview of your report, like who were the big players that you you know identified and so forth.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So what this report revealed is is really there's a powerful network of trade organizations uh, that are funded by big food corporations uh, that really are calling the shots in in D.C. Uh, the the food industry it's a it's a one point one trillion dollar industry and it, it really does flex its muscle. Uh, through lobbying, through campaign spending, and it uses these trade associations to obscure some of these practices. Mm. Um, you know, the, we like to say the, the big food swamp. Uh, it's a play on word of words, of course, uh, in terms of uh, the promise uh, that Donald Trump made to, to drain the swamp in D.C. to get rid of the lobbyists and the special interests. Uh, but there really is this big food swamp. It's it's wide. There's almost 6,300 IRS classified food trade organizations. Uh, But it's also deep, you know, only a handful of those trade associations actually account for the lion's share of lobbying and political donations. And they represent five billion dollars in assets. Yeah, but but do. (laughs) (laughs) Wow.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. These are big beasts. Right. They're big, big swamp creatures. So. So Um, go on. Yeah, no, I was I was going to say. So I think what, what this report does, Katie, is really just show that the food industry is actually contributing pretty mightily to the to this larger problem uh, of of big money in politics, mm-hmm. and it has real world impact, right, from the food that ends up on our kids' lunch trays to uh, how how our food workers get paid uh, to whether people working in the restaurant industry can access health care. All of these things have. You know, have such an impact on our daily lives, and and really, it's it's uh it it's quite uh quite the story to tell around the the, the influence of big food money in politics. Well,
3: we're going to get uh, pretty granular with this. So, <clears throat> you just said that we're talking about uh, an or a, a series six 000, some six thousand organizations which uh, together control roughly five billion with a B dollars in spending um, when it comes to lobbying and campaign contributions. So. <clears throat> Who exactly? Uh, who, how are they disseminating this money? I guess is what I want to know first. Like these lobbying groups, are they contributing directly to candidates' um, uh, election campaigns? Where, where is that five billion dollars going, basically?
2: Yeah. So there. So our analysis revealed uh, that the the top groups uh, spent over three hundred million dollars in federal lobbying uh, just in the in the last decade, right? So we took a look at the top. Uh, 100 group and from 100 trade groups, and from there we narrowed it down to the biggest spenders in terms of lobbying and campaign contributions. Mm-hmm. Uh, then those same uh 20 groups spent 33 million dollars to influence our elections over the last de- decade. Okay. but really that's just the tip of the big food money iceberg, as we like to say, uh, because there's all this dark money that's also flowing in the system. Yeah, I think for I think what's important to realize is you know for perspective. Um, you know, the, the entire agribusiness industry spent $170 million on campaign contributions in the 2020 election cycle alone. So not just the trade associations, but also the companies and, and other groups affiliated with the ag industry and the food industry. And that's nearly four times more than the defense industry spent, and on par with what the big oil companies and the oil industry spent. So I think, you know, there's this there's this perception that, you know, it's 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 big tech, big pharma, big oil uh, that are really, you know, the, the 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 lobbying and campaign contributions powerhouses. But big
3: food is is a massive player in this space. Absolutely. Lucy, when you talk about lobbying, I just want to be sure I even understand that term correctly. When people are lobbying, it's like they're sending uh Some kind of a representative from K Street, which I, you know, I like everybody else, I know K Street is the sort of lobbying central for for most organizations. And they go directly into congressional and senatorial uh, members offices and they have sit downs with them to tell them why they should or should not vote uh, in one way or another on specific pieces of legislation. Is that is that accurate?
2: That's exactly right, okay. and it's about these big food corporations using these trade associations to advance their interests, mm-hmm. to to make sure that uh, that their interests are protected, that their profits are protected, that there isn't you know legislation that's going to get in the way of uh, of them reaping big windfall profits. Mm-hmm. Uh, legislation like raising the minimum wage or expanding the Affordable Care mm-hmm. Act or, or things of that nature. So uh, these 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 companies through these trade associations exert a lot of influence over policymakers. Uh, it's, it's not just the lobbying, it's the campaign contributions uh, that also uh, really open the doors uh, to, to these big food corporations setting policy. And what's more is the the vast majority of the lobbyists in these trade associations that we profiled, over 80% of them are what we call revolvers. Yes. Uh, they are. Yeah. They're people that revolve between government and, uh, and the private sector. Uh, and so that uh, of course has a huge impact on you know who's writing the rules of the system, who, who's, who's making uh, the policy decisions and, and at the table when, when big, um, you know, when big pieces of legislation are, are, are being discussed. Right.
3: So our, our most obvious and recent example, of course, is is Tom Vilsack securing another uh, you know tenure as secretary of agriculture um, after concluding a successful four year multimillion dollar contract with um, with the uh, Dairy Export Federation or whatever his organization was called. I can't remember what, but it was it was a lobbying organization. And that he is just the most recent, but there are lots and lots of those. I mean, even I know in USDA, there are many revolving doors. I know that, um, say, Food Safety and Inspection Services has a lot of lobby, you know, a lot of revolving door kinds of guys. And the way that they can operate is obviously they create these relationships with their buddies when they're on the inside of government, and then they continue those relationships uh, when they emerge to uh join a lobbying group. So it's it's a very it is indeed a very pernicious uh cycle. So let's let's talk about the three big groups uh in particular that you profiled because um that that was you know <laughs> that was very sobering I must say. Who are they and and why did you pick them uh over some of the other also very large groups? because uh, there's you know there's as you said, I think didn't you say there were about 20 really powerful lobbying groups. um, And then, you know, of course, thousands of other smaller ones. But you picked three very big ones and let's talk about them.
2: Yes. So of the the two, sorry, the the 300 million uh, that the top 20 food industry groups spent on lobbying, only three groups accounted for half of that spending, right? And so these three groups are the National Restaurant Association, the Consumer Brands Association, uh, and the American Beverage Association. So these three groups are, are are sort of the lobbying powerhouses in Washington D.C. And they also spent big on on campaign contributions. So it's why we picked those. And eighty percent of the of the lobbyists of those three groups are, are people that had been uh, in government before. These these so called revolvers. Mm-hmm. And these groups lobby on a range of issues uh, that, that impact everyday Americans, right, from, as I mentioned, the, the minimum wage, uh, to worker protections, uh, to labeling on foods, uh, to taxes on, on sugar-sweetened beverages. Uh, so so the, the lobbying might that these three groups in particular uh, employ uh, have huge ramifications uh, for for our lives, for the way our food is grown, for the way uh, our food is marketed, sold, and by whom. So uh, it
3: was important to take a deeper look at these three groups. Yeah. And um, just as an aside, I'm going to ask, are you going to continue with these investigations um, and maybe publish another report in another six months or a year that uh, defines some of the other organizations that are so pernicious and, and so influential? Absolutely. And we're not going to wait that long, uh, <laughs> Katie, because this is this is I mean,
2: this is real time yeah. uh, impacts that this is having. Right. I, I think there's a lot of conversations around how, um, you know, how compromised our, our democracy is to special interests, to big money. Yeah. Uh, and certainly food is is no exception. Uh, you know, I think this this really came into the forefront uh, on January 6th with the insurrection in, in the Capitol and the and the lawmakers in in Congress that voted against certifying uh, the the uh, the election of Joe Biden. We actually took a look at the top twenty big food industry associations to those one hundred forty seven members of Congress who voted against uh, certifying Biden's election, oh, really? and they they gave the election yeah they gave the election deniers six point two million dollars, and they these industry associations. Spent more money per election denier than they did uh, on on those who didn't uh, vote uh, or who did vote. Excuse me to affirm sort of our free and fair uh, election and, and the will of the people. So so this is this is not an issue that's going away, mm-hmm. right? A- and this is an issue that deserves greater scrutiny. The political power of of the food industry and how that power is is harming our democracy. It's harming our health. It's and it's harming our environment. Yeah. Uh, so this is this is really where Feed the Truth is going to be, kind of at this intersection of food, democracy, and equity.
3: Very interesting. Now, I'm, I'm going to read a little quote from the report, which said, the food industry seeks to conceal the depth of its influence by funding multiple trade associations that market misleading information under the guise of consumer empowerment while using its vast resources to shape policy. So, Let's go back to that sort of trade association market misle uh, the misleading information that they are able to give us a couple examples of of what that might look like to start with. And then let's talk a little bit about dark money because that's always a very <laughs> a very dark topic.
2: Absolutely. Uh so these 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 trade associations I think they they do a good job um in spending a lot of money on on PR and communications. Uh, to try to position themselves as champions of the little guys, right? You think that the, the National Restaurant Association, for example, is, is fighting for the mom and pop, you know, pizza shops around the corner, uh, when in reality it's it's these big corporations, corporations like Pepsi mm-hmm. and Coke and Darden, uh, that are really uh, flexing their muscle within the National Restaurant Association. And, and, and the National Restaurant Association has been, Pretty much fighting tooth and nail uh, against the Raise the Wage Act, yeah. which serves to uh, increase the, the federal minimum wage, uh, which you know of course is a such a critical tool uh, to help fight the crisis of hunger and poverty um, and inequality that we have in this country. So so you've really got this group, the National Restaurant Association, that's that's fighting against uh, something that would benefit millions of people. Uh, and and would have a, a, a dramatic uh, impact on on the ability for families and particularly families uh, from communities of color uh, to you know to have a, a, a better a fairer shot uh, and, and greater opportunity uh, at the American dream right. uh, so that's that's the kind of thing um, the the consumer brands Association you know, we talk about transparency um, this this group was uh, really at the forefront of fighting against uh transparency labeling efforts on, on GMO right. on, on, on genetically modified uh, food. And, you know, they tried to 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 lobby for their own sort of version that was more focused on uh, self-regulation. Uh, and they continue to, to do this, right? They, they're doing this right now with a labeling system um, uh, that presents key nutrition information on the front of packed foods, but they really don't want to be regulated in this way. They'd rather do a, a sort of a, a voluntary Approach to this, and so so it's 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 these big corporations hiding behind these trade associations. Uh, so the big corporations like the Pepsi's get to talk about their commitment to Black Lives Matter and empowering communities and what an ethical company uh, they are. But meanwhile, on the other hand, you've got you know Pepsi as a member of the National Restaurant Association, Consumer Brands Association, and the American Beverage Association. You know uh, trying to undermine these these progressive policies and and these policies that would benefit quite frankly millions of American
3: families mm-hmm. and so the trade associations um they they come with many different names, do they not uh, often names that are as you said earlier are meant to sort of lull the consumer into a sense that they're really talking to them and addressing their concerns um but in fact they're you know they're funneling information directly from from their dark overlord as it were. I mean, <laughs> I mean, is that right? I mean, it's just like, I'm trying to think of like a couple of names of, I mean, like the national Cattlemen's beef association. I know, you know, I, I follow the meat industry a lot. Now they're a trade organization funded by the USDA through beef checkoff dollars. And they are constantly promoting, you know, eat beef message, which is supposed to be great for all cattle ranchers. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go into the various problems in the meat industry, but um, but they but that I th- I feel like that's a good example of of an or of, of a trade association that pretends to be on the side of ranchers. But in fact, it's really a shill for uh, Tyson, Cargill, you know, JBS, et-, et cetera. Would that be is that the kind of organization that we're talking about or the pork producers counselor? I mean, those are sort of more direct, but. But there are other ones that are better concealed. Can you name some of those? Yes.
2: Well, I think I think the, the Consumer Brands Association is an interesting one because they just went through a a rebrand. They changed their name. Yeah, they were grocer, fact, it
3: was, Grocers Manufacturers Association, right?
2: Yes, that's exactly right. right. Um, and and in fact, when when. Uh, When we released this report and and they were asked uh, for a statement, they said, you know, this report, um, you know, is about an organization that no longer exists, the (laughs) grocery manufacturers of America. You know, we're, we're a different organization now. Uh, Meanwhile, their, their members are still the same. They've got the same executive team, the same set of lobbyists. And and so not much has changed. It's just sort of, they, they gave themselves a a makeover, um, you know, with this, with this name change. And, and, and and it's interesting because, you know, the word consumer is very front and center that this is a a pro consumer group uh, that is, you know, interested in, in fighting for, uh, ensuring that the consumer has you know, choice and information, uh, when in reality it's it's just it's just a group doing the bidding of, of some of the most powerful uh, food
3: companies in the world. Right. Right. So Frito Lay is you know is really you know the snack the big snack food brands are, are calling the shots. Meanwhile, masquerading as oh yes, <laughs> we're on your side, you poor fat, diabetic, high blood pressured slob. <laughs> Just unbelievable. Um, let's talk a little bit about the dark money. So the trade associations, the, you know, these lobbyists are kind of, okay, it's, it's out there. But how, first of all, where who is paying the dark money and how did you find it? How were you able to identify those sources or were you?
2: Well, no. That's that's the thing about dark money, right? right? Um, it's 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 not easy to find. Um, so, dark money is, is essentially money pooled through opaque channels, such as political organizations, shell mm-hmm. corporations, super PACs. And and what's interesting about dark money is it's 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 purposely designed to shield the identity of the donors from public view, right? There's no IRS required uh, reporting on this. There's no disclosures. Uh, trade associations contribute to this this murky dark money picture because they are often conduits for dark money from their member corporations. Um, so trade associations right now can hide the sources of their contributions. Some of these these groups don't even have member lists wow. uh, made public. We don't know who who are you know technically the corporate members of these groups. Um, and that's that's one of the ways they, they, they obscure, you know, what, what, where the money is coming from and, and also what activities they're spending the money on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, it's interesting because the, the exemption around that created this dark money uh, is a, actually a relic of the civil rights era. It was used at the time to protect NAACP donors from persecution uh, no and, and to hide their identities. yeah. But this exemption now has has really created this problem of all of these dark money organizations that use tax-exempt status to try to influence political debate, electoral outcomes, government policies, and there's a complete lack of transparency and accountability. Uh, so there's legislation being proposed in Congress to try to uh, uh, require uh, greater visibility, sunlight into, into these dark money groups and, and disclose donors.
1: Mm. Well,
3: we'll, well, we won't hold our breath for that, but let's hope. Um, let's, let's, you had another really interesting um, quote, uh, or well, I, 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 I fear I might be a little bit redundant here, but I, I just want to get this out. You, you explain how the food industry works the pay-to-play system. And what do you mean by that?
2: yeah, I mean, these 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 trade associations are spending millions of dollars in trying to influence elections. Uh, and they influence elections uh, not because they care about which you know representative uh, is going to Congress from the you know one hundred and tenth district, uh, but rather because those uh, representatives sit on key committees, usually mm-hmm. the the House, you know agriculture committee and the and and the, right. the, the equivalent in the Senate. Uh, and they can have access, right? as as campaign donors, they have access to these politicians and they go in and they lobby and they present their case. Uh, and you know that's that's it's 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 a quid pro quo. I mean, it's 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 so interesting that we tolerate this um, as a country, that this is just sort of you know a feature and not a bug of our of our democratic system. Right. And I think really what what you know what has opened the floodgates is, of course, you know, rulings like citizen. Citizens United right. that 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 enabled all this you know corporate and special interest money to to flood uh, flood the system to the point where we have a system almost of legalized corruption mm-hmm. that this this kind of corruption where it is pay to play where you know you give money to to a candidate they end up in Congress they end up sitting on a key committee and then you go in and you know you have this this member of Congress you lobbied and 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 then they they write in uh, into the legislation. Uh, things that are that are favorable for for your for your industry, for your company. Um, you know that's that's corruption, but it's allowed, yeah, you know in 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 under the law and under the rules of 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 this country. And so I think uh, you know if we if we care about the food that we eat, if we care about how it's grown, what the impact is on workers, on the environment, uh, we need to also start paying attention to 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 how our democracy um, is is set up and quite frankly being manipulated uh by by all of this uh corporate money yeah
3: i I think we really can bring this right back to citizens united i mean there's always been you know corruption in the sense of politicians being bought and paid for and so forth but never to the extent that we are seeing in this era to my knowledge i mean i'm in i'm a baby boomer so i'm in my mid-60s and um certainly we all talked about corruption you know when reagan was president but uh it, it is it is beggaring the imagination uh at this point and reading a report like yours really was Uh, extraordinarily Um, (laughs) eye-popping to see just how big the sums of money are and also the number of organizations that are involved in doing this this, uh, very same work. So we're going to take a short, short break. Um, We'll be right back with Lucy Martinez-Sullivan talking about the new uh, Feed the Truth report uh, draining the big food swamp. Please stay tuned.
1: This episode is brought to you by The Great Grow Along, a three-day hosted virtual garden festival connecting you with the influencers, tastemakers, and cutting-edge content of today's gardening world. The Great Grow Along will feature 40-plus sessions on topics ranging from houseplants to DIY landscaping. New plant parents and first-time gardeners will gain practical advice and creative inspiration from celebrated garden experts and industry leaders. Costing $29.95, tickets allow attendees to mix and match a wide range of sessions or choose to follow one of the conference's six tracks, which include edible gardening, urban gardening, pollinators and plants, DIY landscaping, houseplants, and dig deeper. The Great Grow Along will take place March 19th through 21st, 2021. Sign up at greatgrowalong.com.
3: So we were talking about lobbying, and one of the points that you made that I thought was really interesting was that lobbying during the time frame surrounding the uh, negotiations around a new farm bill every five years um, peaks. Talk a little bit about how that plays out and how much money these people are go are spending uh, to influence legislation or or you know allocations within the farm bill.
2: Yeah, so the Farm Bill is this massive piece of legislation, I, I think as many of you listeners oh, yeah, know absolutely. that that directs, you know, more than, than four hundred and twenty-five billion dollars in, in federal spending over a five year period. And so there's a lot of interests that care about the farm bill that uh, that jockey for position within the farm bill that uh, and, and yeah, so lobbying uh, goes up and, and the trade associations that we profiled. Uh, collectively, spent almost forty million dollars in two thousand nine around the farm bill, um, and that that's a really you know significant sum of money. Um, you know, just again, just these these top twenty trade associations, okay. right? That doesn't even include the member organizations like the, you know, the 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 Pepsis or the Cargills or the Tysons that also do separate lobbying. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it, it really speaks to um, you know just the the intense um, uh, focus that these that these companies have on this piece of legislation that you know sets the rules of uh, you know everything from our federal nutrition program SNAP to uh, you know to to how um, um, money for agriculture is uh, is allocated so uh, I think it's 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 one of those uh, great phenomenons in, in DC. Uh, where we see this massive spike around around the farm.
3: Yeah, it's easy to see, for example, like why an Archer D- uh, Daniel Midland or, or a Cargill would have a very vested interest in um, m- manipulating uh, crop subsidies, for example, or how crop insurance is laid out, um, things like that you can really see. But then also, it would also be, uh, you know, a place where these lobbyists, say in the American Beverage Association, would put a lot of muscle behind um, changing rules around school food because school food, of course, is is paid for by the farm bill, right? So, or 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 even or SNAP benefits, of course, uh, very much are are you know are the are a big part of the farm bill every year. So, it's 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 not hard to see why they would go after that. And uh, you know, as you say, forty million dollars doesn't even take into account the sort of individual corporate. Uh, contributions made to individual people on the agricultural committee, and one thing I want to say uh, before we go any further is when I was looking at your um, your charts about individual giving, um, you included um, you know sort of who which members of Congress which senators uh, got how much money from which organization and and it wasn't just Republicans it was predominantly republicans i 'm not going to lie, but there were quite a few Democrats on that on that corporate tit as well and i I wondered if you wanted to comment a little bit about that. Like Colin Peterson, for example, who was a Democrat. who was the chair of the House Agricultural Committee. Um, You know, he was taking in a tidy sum every year. And uh, and his um, his actions were not super friendly towards, uh, say, you know, revised regional farm, you know, farming plans or or food, food hubs or anything like that. You know what I mean?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the spending is bipartisan. Um, it does tilt more uh, on the Republican side, and, and that might be, you know, a, a product of, of the fact that Republicans tend to be more big business friendly, uh, but also that they've been, you know, controlling uh, the House uh, and Senate for, for a while now. Um, but but yeah, Democrats uh, reap the benefits of, of, of all of this uh, campaign uh, spending. Uh, and, you know, the, the food swamp. Pre-existed Donald Trump sure. and uh, and and is still here as Biden, uh, you know, assumes the presidency. Uh, and I think it's it's going to take a tremendous amount of political courage and political will to actually do something about it, right? And so we can't assume that just because we have a, a, a Democratic administration and 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 the House is controlled by by Democrats and and, and the Senate is sort of you know it, it kind of split, but. Um, you know, a bit more tilting, slightly more democratic. Um, we can't assume that uh, that these that the, that the Democrats are going to really focus on rooting out these big uh, corporate and special interests. Uh, it's it's going to take um, serious commitment on the part of the Biden administration to tighten ethics rules, as well as Congress to pass legislation like the historic HR one for the People Act, which. Uh, among many many other things um, uh, includes uh, measures to uh, to promote greater transparency around lobbying greater disclosure mm. um and and really try to minimize the the impact of big money on on politics mm.
3: yeah that's going to be a challenge it it's also worth saying that um the, the big agricultural states um, who benefit the most from something like the farm bill also tend to have very conservative voters, farmers in general, tend to be conservative, even if they're registered Democrats. Uh, I think that they support, you know, a lot of the um, sort of Republican agenda in the sense of like, get out of my business. I don't want the government telling me how to manage the water on my farm or my ranch, you know, that stuff, stuff like that. Um, It's definitely a true, a truism that um, frequently you will find some of these groups voting against their own best interests, (laughs) <laughs> um it's, uh, you know, especially when it comes to things like the farm bill. I mean, I can see you know, it's it's not hard to see why uh even a Democrat um would accept uh lobbying money or or campaign money from um from say an Archer Daniel Midland type organization just because their farmers might very well tend to want to support whatever it is that those companies uh, are asking for in their uh, in their quid pro quo. But um, let's let's move on a little bit. So you had um, some interesting examples of uh, from the, how the Consumer Brands Association, formerly known as the Grocery uh, Manufacturers Association, um, has skewed legislation or regulations in their favor. And I, I wanted you to give, like, I, I know you mentioned this at the top of the show, but let's just go through these three organizations and talk about some of the major um, impacts that they were able to... Um, Skew in their favor. For example, uh, how many hours a truck driver was allowed to drive, or GMO labeling, or front of the package nutrition. You you alluded to those, but are there other ones that the GAR that the Consumer Brands Association uh, could be identified as having had an impact on?
2: Um, yeah, I think in terms of the um, you know this this uh, uh, safe and accurate food labeling Act of, um, of 2015, they threw the, their support behind that. Um, and that was really about creating this voluntary labeling program, um, but, but to to disclose, uh, you know, what what's what's in food. But really, um, it was actually an effort to prohibit state efforts to enact their own labeling requirements. Uh-huh. Um, the bill was nicknamed sort of the Dark Act, which was deny Americans the right to know act, right? Um, because. <laughs> Because they argued that you know making participation in this labeling program voluntary would limit uh, compliance, and so uh, they, you know they they, uh, they they put their 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 muscle behind it, um, you know, and it never ended up going anywhere. But it's just it's one example, of course. You know, GMO labeling they were they were very. Right. Um, you know, active in that terrain. On the truck driver hours, I mean, you mentioned that. Um, and and, and this, this actually came about uh, as a result of the, of the pandemic. Um, the U.S. transportation, um, you know, were allowing truck drivers to log extra hours um, because they were hauling essential goods, i.e. foods. Um, and the Consumer Brands Association lobbied to make those rules permanent in, in May of last year. Uh, despite the fact that there's well documented safety risks to drivers, you know, on these on these long haul routes, and so that's you know one one example of how you know they they took advantage of of COVID, quite frankly, yeah. to make something that was supposed to be a temporary solve for the you know out of stocks and, and shortages we were all seeing at the grocery store, and and really make that permanent in in order to benefit their member corporations'
3: bottom lines. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And then the American Beverage Association, of course, I always think, you know, they basically crushed the sugar tax, you know, sugar uh, sugar sweetened beverage tax uh, everywhere except for Berkeley and Philadelphia, I think. Um, But what what other uh, what other measures have they sought to um, either suppress or uh, express?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a couple things. First of all, all these trade associations like to sponsor research. Uh, so they, you know, they, they, they pay for research that, um, you know, serves as the evidence base for, for their policy agendas. So, uh, the American beverage association funded about 26 studies, uh, that tried to really dispute the link between sugary drinks and obesity and diabetes, which of course contradicts the overwhelming, uh, body of, right. uh, of scientific evidence that's, that states to, you know, to the, the contrary, um. You know they're they're trying to obfuscate uh, the the fact that added sugars uh, do have uh, uh, there is a correlation between added sugars and and the increasing prevalence uh, of obesity um, and so really trying to you know muddy the waters on the on the scientific uh, front on the on the regulatory side of things you you mentioned the you know the their efforts at the state and local level but there's a reason we we don't even have a conversation about a national. Uh, Soda tax, uh, right? I mean, this this organization is, um, as you said, they they fund Democrats, they fund Republicans. Any there's there's been no serious effort that's made it out of committee in Washington D.C. to advance any kind of measure on a tax on sugar sweetened beverage, despite the evidence showing that it decreases consumption of, of of sugary beverages, which you know contribute to a whole host of health problems, particularly. Around, you know, among black and, and Latino populations. And by the way, this tax would be a huge source of revenue that can go fund uh, things like the CDC and other public health measures. Mm-hmm. Um, so so they are they're so active, of course, at the state level and and doing preemption legislation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they want to block uh, efforts. Um, at the at the local level, by going to the state capitals, and they, you know, they they work with with the the, the Koch brothers, the 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 organization they fund, uh, Alec, the American Legislative Exchange Council, right. to prevent um, you know cities uh, from passing taxes on on soda. So the American Beverage Association is 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 pretty. Uh, they they realize that that soda taxes are are an existential threat, and so they are they are there to be the the heavy on on that issue. And I
3: mean, it's interesting that they think of it as an existential threat. People who want to drink soda are going to drink it, and if they pay an extra three cents a bottle, it's not going to break the. But it would fund health care. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's. I mean, to me, it's incredibly short sighted because basically you're saying that people are you know you don't want to pay the extra you don't want to you know have that extra three cents a bottle but you but you don't mind if your consumers perish if they die an early death because of uncontrolled health issues derived from drinking sugary beverages i mean it's incredibly short-sighted to me it's like you know crazy and then i well go ahead i'm sorry
2: no 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 i was going to say the you know the the companies they, they privatize the profits but then uh, the costs uh are 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 really uh passed on to to us the taxpayers who have to pay you know for um you know for healthcare costs uh, for a population that's increasingly um, you know, saddled with with uh, diet related diseases like obesity and, and, and diabetes. Right.
3: Right. And then of course, um, you know, just to, to round this out and then we, and then we must move on to solutions because we're running out of time here yes. and we have to get to that. But I maybe I'll just say this at the National Restaurant Association, you guys highlight the point that they have been very busy uh squelching the minimum wage and especially squelching the raising of the tipped wage worker um compensation, which I think is at $2.77. An hour, and then you're supposed to make up your, you know, the extra. Essentially, up to fifteen dollars an hour is what, you know, that's considered the um, what you're supposed to get out of your tips. And of course, as we all know, when you waitress at Applebee's or McDonald's, or not McDonald's, but at Applebee's or any of the other quick service restaurants where you're sitting down, um, that ain't happening. You're not making that money. So, um, so let's, but let's talk about the solutions because you guys had some good ideas there. Um, so I'll let you just take the floor, and and I'll shut up for now.
2: <laughs> no, I mean these are all such great questions, Kitty. Uh, I think I think you know. Number one, we we have to understand that that this this is the the power that these food corporations and their trade groups wield. You know, impacts everything. Um, you know, impacts everything having to do with food. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, you know, so we propose five solutions. Number one. Uh, and the revolving door between government yeah. and industry, because we talked about how revolving between government and industry allows these corporate interests to become entrenched, entrenched in our policymaking, entrenched in the decision making, and it's to the detriment of our health and, and quite frankly, to our economy. Yeah. Number two, um, uh, Congress uh, should pass uh, acts the, the For the People Act, right? So this is a this is a piece of legislation that would curb the toxic influence of corporate money in politics heighten ethics rules and increase transparency. So this is, is broader, of course, than just the food industry, but would have a, a big impact on how our food policy is determined by whom and for what purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, trade associations and other vehicles for, for dark money uh, should no longer be allowed to, to hide the sources of their contributions and expenditures. This is a huge problem. We don't know who's behind all of this lobbying, all of this campaign spending. Uh, and it, and it really is adding uh, fueling the corruption that that we see um, in you know in our democracy. So uh, that's I think that's a critical um, act or a critical effort that that Congress needs to uh, take seriously. Number four, we're we're calling on food corporations and and trade groups to immediately open their books. so so feed the truth we, we want to <laughs> see these groups, Disclose the totality of their political giving, uh-huh. right? Yeah, and and so they they talk a good game. These corporations talk a good game about transparency and and how important it is for you know consumers to know what they're buying and what's in their food and all that. Well, transparency should also uh, extend to to the political activities of these of these companies, and 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 no longer should we tolerate a company like you know Coke or or Pepsi or. Um, you know Nestle talking about the good that they do in our communities and the and and the philanthropy and the and and the money that they give. Um, you know without you know then equally talking about what what they're spending on influencing our elections on lobbying to get their way. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, hey, listen, an idea whose time has come. Put a stop. Uh, to the political donations and put a stop to lobbying. Corporations should close uh, their PACs, their you know political action committees. Um, and and I tell you, there is momentum on this front. Really? investors, investors in these in these publicly traded corporations are starting to see that corporations' political giving is a liability. It's oh. a it's a liability for companies, and it's something that um, that the investment community, particularly socially responsible investors um are are asking hey is it worth the risk uh, that these corporations which are supposed to you know maximize shareholder value is it worth the risk to our democratic institutions and you know is it worth the the the, the liability from a from a reputation standpoint uh, for these companies to continue to be in the business of of donating cash uh, you know, to elect certain members of Congress or, or, or lobbying. So uh, I think, um, you know, it, it might seem like a radical idea, uh, but that's certainly something that Feed the Truth is uh, is going to push for.
3: Uh, yeah, that is easily the most radical idea you have mentioned, and, it, and it's also the one that makes my eyebrows go up the highest. Um, <laughs> largely <laughs> because I feel like, um, you know, shareholders are I, – I, most shareholders in a company are pretty unaware of what their company is doing. They're not really reading those annual reports. And to my, you know, in my experience, my granted very little experience, my experience in in sort of examining um, the way, first of all, what annual reports look like, but also how much disclosure goes into those annual reports in terms of what shareholders know that their companies lobbying or that they're, you know, that the corporation's lobbying interests are supporting. I don't think that that's necessarily um, particularly transparent to people who do own shares in a corporation like uh, ADM or Pepsi Cola or something like that. I think, um, there are companies out there like as you Sew um, or Ceres that are trying to to get shareholders more aware of what 's going on and to put pressure on the on the board members of a corporation to to um you know s- somehow do better you know i, I don 't know if it means stop doing it altogether but do better or, or support better candidacies but i I, I just feel like there 's an enormous um, not only inertia to overcome. But uh, but also a, a huge level of ignorance, of fundamental ignorance about it. I mean, I, I, at the risk of going on and on too long here, I just want to say, like, when to go back to the to the revolving door issue, um, I'll never forget a conversation I had with Thomas Massey, who's a congressman from uh, Kentucky, I think. Uh yeah. And um, and I said, well, I I asked him a couple questions about, you know, sort of regulating the food industry in some way or something like that. he says, well, we we just let the food industry take care of its own concerns. They're doing a great job of feeding everyone. And I, I mean, and he was genuinely ignorant. I said, but, you know, Congressman, are you aware that there are over 40 million food insecure households in the United States, at which point he terminated the conversation and walked away from me? Like he just didn't want to know that. Or if he knew it, he didn't want to acknowledge it. But the main point was, is that he didn't care uh, whether or not, (laughs) you know, he didn't want to be bothered with thinking about, you know, with with the hard thinking that is required to sort of unravel the the harms that these food corporations are doing uh, from from the good things that they're doing. I mean, you know, we all say the food system is broken. It's not broken. It works incredibly well. Uh, It just doesn't work well for people. It works really well for corporations. (laughs) So, you know, you've got a massive education effort on your hands, not only with, uh, you know, the corporations themselves, with the legislators who are in bed with them through these revolving doors, but then also consumers, Nobody thinks of, uh, looks at a package of Doritos and thinks, well, there's the Antichrist. <laughs> but, you know, in a way, that's what you're looking at. You know, it's like really cheap calories. They're really destructive. It's terrible for the environment. You know, they really should cease to exist, except, of course, we all love them. So, I, you know, it's, it's a very difficult um, set of problems compounded by the consolidation within the food industry categories. Uh, so, you know, my hat's off to you, Lucy Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really look forward to hearing more from you and from Feed the Truth. I mean, you got to come back and tell me, you know, all of the rest of the stuff that you discover. I think we should have like a regular call scheduled. <laughs> Let's
1: do it. <laughs> Let's Katie. Do I'm, it.
3: For, I'm all for in. real. I'm all. in. I mean, really, I mean, I love having recurring uh, recurring guests. And I and it's a it's easier for me, but also it continues the thread for my listeners because then they can catch up on an issue. Like if they liked this program, they can say, oh, I want to hear part two and then go to that, you know, podcast list and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to pick up on this again see what's happening. So um, we will do that. So in the meantime, we have now gone slightly over time. Not that there's really any time frame, but people tune out after about 35 minutes. So. Um, I like to keep it kind of short, but thank you so, so very much. I wish you all the best uh, with this organization and great job on that report. I'm not kidding. I sent it to at least a half a dozen of my friends. Um, Yeah. Oh yeah. No. And you had a great, uh, we should also mention that you had a piece in civil eats in today's issue of civil eats. So if you, if you don't know how to access, oh, we haven't given you a chance to tell people where to access the report or learn more about the feed, the truth, promote yourself shamelessly woman. Yes, feedthetruth.org. Uh, you
2: can find uh, the report on the website. Uh, there's also links to petitions that you can sign uh, to get these companies to open their kimonos, so to speak, <laughs> open their books, uh, be uh, you know, be, be a lot more transparent about what they're doing. Um, and, and yeah, join us. This is just the tip of the iceberg. This this whole uh, issue it's it's a massive iceberg underneath the water, and we're just getting started. So thank you, Katie, so much for having me. And again, feedthetruth.org. Uh, we look forward to. Uh, to continuing the conversation with you and your listeners. It's a date.
3: Talk to you soon, Lucy. Thank you so much. And thanks to my sponsor. Really appreciate it. As always, uh, see you uh, next week, folks. I appreciate you tuning in and have a great week. In the meantime, so long for now. What Doesn't Kill You is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you.